I want to talk about today, I think, an area or a topic in Jewish practice that is severely, uh, 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 there's a severe misconception, or, or, or many severe misconceptions that people have. Uh, I think it's a, uh, clearly it's a central aspect of Jewish life and Jewish practice. I think probably for most Jews in the world, it's what they associate Judaism as being. You know, that's their touch point with their religion. Uh, but I feel like it's, 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 I want to say it's maligned. I would say it's misunderstood. Uh, and the power and the potential and the influence uh, that it could do to someone, how it could totally transform someone's life, I think is important uh, to be publicized. And I'm talking about none other than <laughs> prayer. Prayer. And I say most people associate prayer with a synagogue and a synagogue with their Judaism. Some people come once or twice a year. Some people come every Shabbat. Some people go every day. But people associate their uh, religious profile with their synagogue. Oh, I'm a member at this synagogue, or I'm not a member, or I was a member, or what affiliation. And that's associated with prayer uh, on one hand. On the other hand, I feel like what prayer actually is uh, or what prayer does and how it transforms your life is maybe not as well known. So it's in that sweet spot where it's something that we know what it is or know of it, but don't really know necessarily. Maybe we do. We'll find out. Uh, but don't know necessarily how to, uh, or, or the, the breadth of the impact that it could potentially have in our lives. That's what I wanted to talk about. But first, before we dig into more like the practical elements, I want to deal with some of the uh, major problems that uh, exist with prayer. Uh, because, you know, if I were to ask you to give a definition, so let's define prayer in, in one sentence. Uh, how would we go about doing that? Well, what would be the simplest way to define prayer? Just what, what is prayer? Conversation between you and God. Uh, man talking to God. Simple, right? More, more of a monologue. <laughs> More, usually. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. Well, it's, it's, that's, your, what, it's your side of the conversation. Is that, is that right? Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's actually very funny. Speak, speak for yourself. You're right, that's what you do. You speak for yourself. You go fight for yourself, right? So, man's talking. What's the content, or what ought to be the content of that conversation, or that? dialogue or that narrative or that monologue or whatever word you want to say. And we look at the prayers. We have prayers. We have, uh, you know, established, canonized, codified prayers that have been, you know, in, in the Jewish practice, the Jewish liturgy for 2,500 years. And it's, you see, you pray for health and you pray for happiness and you pray for prosperity and you pray for your family, and you, right? And you pray for the Jewish people and you pray for a lot for play for Israel. You pray for forgiveness a lot of things that we pray for, right? We need so much stuff. Right? We need so many goodies. We pray. Is that right? Is that a fair definition of prayer? We good? Yeah, we good. Okay, excellent. Now, what, what's, what's clear from the sources is that prayer has to be audible. You have to enunciate the prayer. You can't just say, you know what? I really want this. Let me think about it. Let me envision it. Let me fantasize about it. You have to talk about it. And uh, the prayer section, even the organized, the canonized uh, section of prayer, 
has one uh, blessing that is dedicated for ad-lib. For ad-libbing. means adding wherever you want. So I know people that have, you know, prayed to win the lottery or prayed to, uh, I don't know, for their sports team to win. You know, prayer is, is, is very malleable. So you talk to God and ask for God what you want. And whatever you want, that's what you should ask for God. In fact, the Talmud even says, Talmud says that a thief <coughs> who is entering to do a burglary, you know, burglary, they pray and they talk to God that they should have success, you know? Which is which is bizarre. Like yeah. it seems it seems oxymoronic. But that but that's what it is. It's whatever you want, wherever, whatever level you are, that's what you that's what your prayer ought to be. Talking to God in a genuine, sincere way, asking them to fulfill what you want. But it has to be verbal. Why? We believe Jewish uh, the Jewish theology defines God as knowing what we're thinking. Yodeya machashavot. The Almighty knows our thoughts. Thus, wouldn't it be easier for me not to have to uh, verbalize something? Isn't that a, a, a maybe perhaps, I know that's a, it's, not, it's not the most earth-shattering question in the world, but I think it's a legitimate point of discussion. It has to be, I'll in a second, it has to be, it has to be enunciated, it has to, you have to talk. You know, it doesn't have to be loud, it has to be audible. In fact, it ought not, it should not be audible. But either way, you have to say it. Why? Why say it? Just you know, cut out the middleman, right? Let's just 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 think what you want. Then Mazalto, you should build. That should be considered prayer, but it isn't. Why not? What about the silent army? That you say, obviously, silent. It's That's silent. Your personal prayer. Okay. But okay. You repeat it with the community for the. But it's different, right? Silent amida, but even the silent amida has to be spoken. You still yet to whisper it exactly. You have to, and I in fact. That's how I do it. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's called silent because it's, it's, everyone does it. It's very personal. Right? You know, it's very private. I don't hear people saying out loud. That's true. But in Halacha, uh, in the Shulchan Aruch, the Book of Jewish Law, it says that the ideal uh, is where you mouth it, but you also, it's audible to yourself, but no, to no one else. But either way, if it's not audible, if it's inaudible, it's also fine, but you have to mouth it. You can't just scan the words with your eyes and read with your eyes. That's a nice, uh, I think it's a, it's a nice introductory question to the idea. Like, okay, so this is something we have, we were commanded to do. It's a mitzvah in the Torah, remember. It's, it's one of the 613 mitzvahs in the Torah uh, to pray. And this one of the, what the, one of the mighty, the requirements, the mind says, okay, this is what I want you guys to do. Fantastic. And we know that our, you know, institutions today, uh, the synagogues, are really revolving around prayer. It's a prayer is a central aspect of Jewish practice at large, but today it's it's magnified because uh, you know Judaism, in the way in its current iteration or in its current state, uh, has determined that the prayer and the prayer experience and the communal get together prayer experience is what generally defines Jewish communities. Uh, the, and it's and it's just a peculiarity about prayer that we have to actually enunciate. And this I guess a nice. Uh, Starter question. Let's get a little more advanced question. Okay, so let's say someone's sick, right? Someone's sick. Unfortunately, they have some malady or some illness, or some, yeah. right? Or some exactly any anything that it may be. There's a Jewish attitude as to how to go about dealing with that, uh, and it's primarily when someone's sick. We have a prayer of faith. have an of faith. Give us healing. We ask for healing. We, we you know we communicate that with God because you know that's that that's what we believe is that God has the power to. Uh, to heal someone. Does, not, does that mean that we neglect going to the doctor's office? Does that mean that we avoid, you know, vaccinations and, and, and medicine? Of course not. 
uh, because we have a part that we play in as well. But we talk to God. <clears throat> now, let me ask you a question. So someone's sick. Someone's sick. Very, very bad illness, right? What do we do? We pray. We say Tehillim. We say Psalms. There's a prayer for the doctors. My monitors wrote a prayer for the doctor. But we do it, right? But we also pray for the sick. You know, we give them Mishaberach. That, that's the Jewish attitude to someone being sick. Now, let me ask you a question. Someone's sick. Who made them sick? Well, allowed it. You know, maybe it depends what the illness is. You know, maybe if they brought it upon themselves. But if someone died or gets cancer, got them, right? They didn't necessarily do something to, to you know to breathe. It seems like it's random. It's like God decides who who gets it, who doesn't. It seems like it. You know, maybe there are behavioral uh, effects as well, of course. Uh, and our actions are you know we're you know our, our actions are going to contribute to our overall health, of course. But there's an element of the uh, you know the, the same Jewish attitude as God's going to give me a healing is that God gave me the illness. Number one. Number two. We have a principle. They'll say in Aramaic, call the Avid Rachamana Latav Avid, which means everything God does is good. The Talmud says, and it's a Jewish attitude, that everything God does is for good. What if God, you know, what if God decides that someone should die young? Then we have a problem. It doesn't seem like it's good, but God did it, or God allowed it. And that seems to be conflict. And that's something that's a very important question to address. What do you do? How do you reconcile this principle that we have that the Almighty loves us, the Almighty is our Father, the Almighty wants only what's best for us, the Almighty does only what's good for us, yet we see things that we perceive to be as bad for us? That's a very crucial and very sensitive, obviously, question because you deal with bad things happening to good people and it seems like it's irreconcilable in the face of a, uh, of a, of a loving, benevolent God. Very important question. Uh, but either way, we are saying... God made someone sick, and we don't know why he did it, but that's a decision that God made. And what do we do? We pray. We pray, God, give him, give him, give him or her a refreshment, a heal them. Why are we trying to say, you know what, <clears throat> God, you decided this guy is sick, and he maybe should die. I have a better idea. I, me, with my expansive, and this is being sarcastic, but my expansive vision and, you know, my, 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 my insight, my foresight, and, uh, you know, my understanding of all circumstances, I have a better idea. I want to intervene, intercede, and uh, intermediate uh, in, you know, in the face of the uh, of, of decision you made. I think you should be healthy. What? Why is your opinion? Why is our opinion? And our beseeching the Almighty to try to change what he maybe is likely to do. Who are we to intervene? God's deciding what happens to us. That's a principal belief of Jewish practice. And now we're saying, you know what? I want this and I want that and I want the other. Right? I'm poor. I want to be wealthy. Well, who made me poor? Right? Or who ensured that I'm not going to be wealthy? God. I want to change that. I want to be wealthy. What do you mean? We're trying to intervene. Everything that we're praying for, it seems like we're trying to play God somewhat. What's the deal? A little more of an advanced question. You say, wait a minute, Rabbi, are you trying to say we shouldn't pray? No, I'm saying we should pray, but why? <laughs> How does it work? Like philosophically, it seems that there's a, a real problem here. There's a there's a conflict here. You know, we're praying to achieve a certain goal. 
Uh, and that goal is something that we determine. Or, like I said, that even even the thief is praying. You know, that's a legitimate prayer. And how that works? Well, because prayer is each individual on their level. But how is that a fear prayer? Like we're coming to God and we're trying to intercede upon our behalf or what we think is best for us. When God knows what's best for us, so let's just leave it to Him. Let's outsource it to Him. <clears throat> Isn't that maybe more logical? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> That's what happens throughout the whole, you know, our history. Now what? No, like Moses negotiates, Abraham negotiates, everyone negotiates. But why? Because he listens. Yeah, so, so I like what you're saying. Um, I like uh, some other ideas as well. Okay, so yeah, so that's what we do. I'm, I'm fine with that, you know. Um, but I want to maybe introduce a few ideas here. Uh, I, in my question, uh, made some presuppositions, which is always dangerous, you know. When people say something and they have an assumption baked in their question, right? Uh, so I said uh, that, um, well, God determines what happens to us, you know? And that's only partially true. The Jewish perspective on the relationship or the interrelationship between what man does and what God does is, uh, is uh, that it's somewhat of a mix. Remember, what is one of the first definitions of man in the Torah? One of the very first definitions of some words that we're all familiar with. What's one of the very first definitions or descriptions or adjectives, des- descriptions of, of Adam? He made a God, he made a God, God's image. There's some sort of parallel and overlap that us mortal men, men, when I say men, I mean mankind, of course, has with God. What could possibly be the overlap? We, we're created in the image of God, but angels, no, they don't have that same definition. There's something that we share with the Almighty that nothing else has. No animals, obviously, uh, but no, no spiritual uh, entities either. What could that possibly mean? So in Jewish we say that God self-determination or self uh, yeah, self-determination is a good way to say it, uh, or perhaps decision-making. Uh, we and God are the only entities that can choose to do one thing or the other. But obviously the animal, the dog can choose the vanilla ice cream or the chocolate ice cream. That's not what we mean. It means to make moral choices. We could choose which way in life we want to be. You know, thus, I know we're getting sidetracked, we're getting far away from prayer, but uh, thus, in what happens, what, what happens to the world? What course does the world, uh, the, 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 does the world uh, go uh, upon? Big picture, also little picture, right? Me, well, what's happened to me in my life? Who makes that decision? Me and God. What happens to the world? Right? We partner with God. We talk about man being in the image of God. We play God a little bit because we also, via our actions, via our behavior, we also can contribute to what happens to the world. And God wants that by design. That's the design of man, is that man should have. Uh, by dint of their abilities, by dint of their intelligence, by dint of their uh, uh, of, of, of their um, community, 
and their verbal communication and the mitzvahs and the behaviors that are are empowering, we are going to determine what happens to us, what happens to the world around us as well. That's when I say uh, I think that. That's partially true. What do you think? Well, I say partially since it's us and God. No, partially true in what you said. So, How's like, that? for example, you know, God said um, you're going to go slaves in Egypt, and then you're going to do this, and then you're going to do that. Right. He what's going to well, yes, but that that seems like okay. So remember, if we but, spoke about the the Egypt, I think it's like, but that's an arena. It seems like God's like that's saying that's the arena. Here's how we're going to, you know, but how we get there is up to us. Well, partnership with God, right? But he's already saying. Well, that's that's uh, there are certain situations God's going to put us in, but our uh, once we're in the situation, right? How are we going to navigate the situation? Well, that's that's what we we can decide. You know that that's that's up, you know, up to us. Thus, when we say like this, prayer essentially is when man comes to the uh, uh, negotiating table, and you know, uh, you know, they have a say in what happens. The entire world around us, we see like you know, there's a a drought in in California now. So very often, there's droughts in, in Israel. You know what to do with the droughts in Israel? They pray for rain. They pray for rain, and in fact. There's an entire Talmudic uh, um, uh, book. One of the 63 books of the Talmud uh, deals primarily with the fast, with fast days. But one of the major fast days that they used to do, fast, a day of prayer, a day of reflection, a day of, uh, of self-analysis, was done when there's no rain in Israel. Even today, modern times, when there's no rain in Israel or there's uh, a precarious water situation, what happens? They have days of prayers all across Israel. Essentially, what we're saying is the status of the world vis-a-vis the treatment that Israel's going to get. You know, do we have a saying clouds? And can we, you know, I know they, they do it like in, in, in China. They, they somehow found a way to manipulate the clouds, whatever. But, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like we really have a say. It's like we're at the mercy of the Almighty. Or are we? No. It's, it's you know, we're partners with the Almighty. The Almighty and us are going to determine. And our prayer is a tool that we use to come to the table. We want to sit at the table, we use prayer. So this kind of, I think, presents prayer in a, in, a, in a very different light. Prayer is thus man, when I say man, I mean mankind again, that's, that's from now on. You know. But man staking their claim to what happens to them personally and to the entire world. When we pray, we say, okay, I want the person to have a refuashling mom. God's not making the only decision. God's not only making the decisions. God wants to partner with us. Thus, if we pray, well, we're saying that we, our influence, whatever influence that is, but we do have a say, our influence is that this person should get well via our prayer. You know, another example of this ideal, we have the, um, you know, perhaps an idea someone y'all have heard of, maybe maybe some of you have not heard of it, um, but who here has heard of the idea called Ein Hara? Or evil eye. Oh, yeah. You heard of it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? I mean, is it nothing? Is it, I mean, the hands. It's what wives do to husbands. <laughs> 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 so, what's, so, what's the, so what's this uh, idea called the evil eye? What are you? Like your mother-in-law. No, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that where it started with the mother-in-law? Um, well, but remember, this is an idea that's 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 
it's so far back in Jewish literature. I mean, it's just like um, superstition. You know, we think of it as superstitions. Well, let me know what the well, comments. In are. a way, it's like Murphy Law. If you believe in it and you look for it, you'll find it. That's one thing that it says. It says that only, the only people that are influenced, only people that are influenced by it, are those that believe in it. Yeah. But then, what does the Talmud say in Baba Kam or Baba Metzia one hundred seven B? One hundred seven B. B B B D. Like oh, I got the I new edition. Get out of it. <laughs> uh, so the Talmud says elsewhere uh, that uh, out of every hundred people, ninety nine of them die because of Ein Hara. Uh, yes, you have to understand what the Talmudic lingo actually means. But what's this idea of I? No, I say I. I said me with a single I, not E Y E. Uh, uh, me, uh, I let's say I'm jealous of someone, right? Or I'm, I'm envious of someone, or I think negatively of someone. So I give them the evil eye. Oh, I know, uh, and they're influenced by it. It's kind of the same idea. The idea being where God takes into account what humans want vis-a-vis even other humans. Thus, if I have a negative feeling towards someone else, if I want bad things to happen to them, that's also kind of me and, you know, the flip side of the coin, the negative side of the coin, me also making a, uh, taking up a stance or a position and determining what happens to that person, which is a crazy idea. It's bizarre, like, you know, uh, it, it's strange, like, that, that I can influence, or, I, or someone can influence some, uh, the, the, the negatively uh, another person. But that's the idea. Uh, okay. Wait, where are your thoughts on that? I think it's a reflection of the reality that God uh, uh, created the, the world to, uh, to be a fulfillment of. Thus, uh, God says, uh, you're my partners, you're created in the image of God. Humans are partners with God. That's why our actions really matter. Why do we have the Torah? Why do we have all the restrictions? What about the angels? They don't have restrictions. You know? Why do we need to be harnessed? Why do we need to be, you know, be uh, uh, taken and instructed? You know, because we have that tremendous power. And, you know, and the world is dependent on us to help usher in uh, its completion. Yes. So, so those influences that Yes. Well, en- envy or or tzarut ayin or covenant or coveting. A negative. Yeah, it means it's some sort of ne- negative emotion where someone doesn't feel happy with the success of someone else. Either they're envious or they desirous or they uh, or they just don't, uh, as they say, lomefaldinim. It's one of the words you can't say in English. There's no word for it in English. You know, they don't. And just that, if prayer has to be spoken. Oh, okay. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't, I mean, I presented them here as, as two sides of the coin, but I think uh, each one of them, there is. No, I don't, not, I, I think that, that yes, it, it's just an emotion. And, and you're asking me, like, you're the engineer, right? Yeah. You're saying, wait a minute, yeah, this doesn't match up, and you're right. Um, but I just wanted to use this as an example of the idea. I, I didn't mean to present them as being opposites. Uh, but prayer does have to be, have to be spoken. Uh, we'll, we'll see a little bit why, or how the power of prayer is really achieved when it's uh, communicated. Uh, okay, let's, let's look at the next problem I think we, we should have with prayer. Now, most, I would say most people, 
in the Western world at some point in their lives are likely to pray, you know, maybe at least once. Probably more often, obviously. We're very, uh, very religious, um, at least religious in, you know, in the historical sense. Uh, very religious people. Uh, we're going to pray. Uh, maybe pri- privately, maybe publicly. Uh, but very often we'll pray for things that we won't get them. What's the deal? If the Almighty loves us and he says, hey, you know what? This is the way to get what you want. Ask for it. I'm the billionaire dad. You know, God give us whatever he wants. He's a billionaire, but he's the responsible dad. He's the dad who says, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't just have it all and just get it without even asking you to be that brat, obnoxious, and gracious who gets the BMW at the age of 16 and apologize if you were with that guy. But uh, I am talking about you if you were. No, just kidding. Uh, we've, we've all had that kid. Uh, in our class, maybe, and they were, and they, they weren't, you know, the parent did a bad job, you know, because the parent didn't, didn't take the steps to make sure that the kid is responsible, mature, and you know, not obnoxious. Uh, so, so you know, the, but God wants to give us just, just come and ask, and we come to the floor, we come and we ask, and uh, we don't get it. The answer is no. What's the deal? Why are so many prayers uh, unanswered? Okay. You got to do some. Show, you say. Yeah, when I, I think that, I think that's true. Like just just like a, a parent would say to the child, the child says, "Oh, I want the chocolate bar." Well, no, you can have the chocolate bar maybe after dinner, but not now. Um, you know, or the kids uh, wants to run in the street. They really want to get run after the after the ball. But the parent has a much, you know, more mature perspective, and they say, "No, no, you're on the street. You might get trampled. You know, that's not going to end well." Uh, so they they hold you back, and the kid's like, "What's the deal? Why does my parent hate me?" No, the parent doesn't hate you. Parent loves you. It's just that you don't have the vision and the insight, understanding to understand that they're trying to save your life. I want to share with you guys something crazy. This is I, I think it's insane uh, what what I found here. Uh, we know Moses. Moses, uh, towards uh, the end of his life, he made a very critical mistake. Story we're familiar with, right? Very good. Um, he did the charades version. He hit the right. There's some stores. Basically, his oldest sister died, Miriam. Uh, they're traveling in the in the Miriam. <laughs> That's what was her name. Uh, yes, it has. Everyone just started looking at you. I just forgot. I have a daughter, Miriam, so it's a name that's uh, dear to my heart as well. His older sister died. And what happened when they died? When, he, when, when she died, there was a rock, a stone, a massive stone that just emitted water. And that's how the, the entire nation subsisted throughout those 40 years. That's so while she dies. And then the water stopped. And it was like, oh, you know why it was flowing? It was because of her. But now she's, but now she's no longer with us. So there's no longer that, uh, uh, that, uh, that miracle. So God tells Moses to go talk to the rock, and he went and he hits the rock, and the water starts gushing, but God says, okay, you don't have faith in me. You and Aaron, you're not going to Israel. And Moses is devastated. This whole trip, this whole journey, we're all going to go to Israel as the leader of the people. Moses, you're no longer going into Israel. Beyond devastated. What did he do? When God says, you're not going to Israel, what, what does Moses do? He starts to Yes. He starts praying. And he prays once, and what does God say? And he prays five times, what does God say? A hundred times. Five hundred times. He prayed 515 times. 
I don't need to pray five hundred fifty times, right? This is the entire um, uh, uh, the the uh, a lot of the uh, of the literature that's written on prayer is written on this particular Torah portion uh, called Va'et Hanan, which means I beseeched. Va'et Hanan is the second section in Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy is like a massive monologue between Moses and the people. It's kind of Moses' last will and testament is, is, is Deuteronomy. And as an aside, if you ever hear some of the people that engage in higher biblical criticism, they want to say that, oh, one of the major proofs, quote-unquote, to the uh, human authorship of the Torah, or the multiple authorship theory of the Torah, is that Deuteronomy has different like grammatical styles uh, than the rest of the Torah. Uh, but it's incredible that the people who make that claim don't even actually read the book, you know, because if you read the book, it's very clear that Deuteronomy is a massive monologue, which is word for word, a transcription of Moses's last will and testament. Thus, the language in Deuteronomy is Moses's language, wherein the language of the rest of the Torah is Moses just uh, writing down what God dictates to him. Thus, it's God's language. Of course, they're going to be different. Mazaltov, like, oh, wow, no one thought of that. Genius, brilliant, right? Uh, just read the book. Either way. Uh, so, um, yeah, you got to listen. Um, so, Moses is telling over the store, and he says that I pray to God. Vetchanan, Vetchanan, by the way, is Gematria. Gematria means numerical value. 515. And you open up some of the deeper sources, and they talk about Moses prayed 515 times to achieve uh, that, or to have to nullify the decree that he can't go into Israel. And the major tells us is that whenever you pray, you pray once, you don't get it, you've got to pray twice. Five times. Why? Because each prayer is a little bit uh, uh, contributing towards the end, even if you don't, uh, you don't actually get it. Eventually you'll get it. Right? So why did Moses stop? He was either just burnt out of 515, 515, that's it, you know. He like at at four thirty seven. He said, "Okay, I'm going to go to five. You know what? I'm going to five fifteen, and then I'm going to stop. Why did this stop? If you already prayed five fifteen times, why don't you just keep on going? Clearly, Moses. Moses. You know, it's like the it's like the uh, guy at the slot machines. You know, if you did five hundred fifteen, you why would you stop unless you had a quarter, right? Did he pray up to the day of his death. Well, he prayed to a certain point. We'll see what why he stopped." I mean, he didn't because this he was telling before he definitely said that he stopped. So why did he stop? If you were to pray 500 times, then continue. Don't stop at 515. So the Matrix opens up this whole narrative by telling us that there was a dialogue. After Moses finished prayer 515, God told him, do not pray anymore. No more prayers about this issue. Why? Listen to this, guys. Why? Because if you pray 516, you'll have to push your way through. You, you'll, you'll force me, you'll force my hand. But if you force my hand, you should know that I have to destroy the world. I have to bring the world back to the way it was before creation. And I don't want to do that. Right? What, what God is telling us, what the Matrix is telling us is that God understood that if Moses went into Israel, it would would destroy the world. It would change the order. It was not the way the world is going to supposed to be. Thus, it would just it would it would be a total uh, seismic shift in the in the the entire world. 
and what Moses represents and what Israel represents and how the marriage of the two would totally change everything. That's a, a very interesting topic. God says, if you, go, if, you, if you pray, I will have to grant you that, but I'll have to destroy the world. But what does this tell us about prayer? That there's a point in prayer that no matter what you want, even something which is deleterious and injurious and bad for you, there is a point in prayer that you can push forward and override God, so to speak. And doing something as detrimental as destroying the world is in your hands if you have prayer. That's the potency of prayer. No matter what, there is a point. Now, obviously, the prayer of Moses is not like, uh, you know, like you see people today. We have a, we have a, we have to pray three times a day. So we pray a mincha, the afternoon prayer, sometime, anytime between like 2 o'clock and 7.30, basically. That's the time. Very, you know, wide range. So we do a mincha, um, uh, a, 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 we do a minion in our, in our office very often. And, um, we do what you know today. Everyone has their, their sidurim on their phone, right? Everyone has the everyone has the text of the prayer on the phone. So, like, um, if you see someone like this, like you have no idea are they praying? Are they are they are they reading their Twitter account? Like, I have no idea, literally no idea, like what they're doing. You know, like this, they be like this, you know, shuffling, moving back and forth, gesticulating. You have no idea what they're. You know, that's what the prayer that Moses did. Moses' prayer was obviously the deepest, most sincere. This is Moses we're talking about, you know. Uh, obviously, this is not a simple or a simplistic or a, uh, you know, ineffectual lip service prayer. This is a uh, this is a prayer on a very high level. But I think the insight is that prayer is so powerful that at a certain point, you know, every obviously some things are are more easy. You pray once and you get it. And you know, I had someone tell me today that uh, they prayed. Uh, on, you know, they were um, they were swamped with work, and they put in a prayer. And they say they felt okay, everything worked out. So maybe it would have worked out otherwise, you know, maybe not. Maybe the prayer worked. It, was, it wasn't such a it wasn't such a big hill to climb. You know, one prayer was enough. Sometimes it might be fifteen prayers or five hundred prayers, you know. And sometimes the prayers are you know are are, are are cumulative, you know. But there is nothing that cannot be accomplished with prayer. Absolutely nothing. Moses, theoretically, if he pushed it forth one more time, he would have gone into Israel, the world would have to be destroyed, but it doesn't matter, Moses' prayer just pushed through. Pushed through. It's kind of like siloing on, on the, the Android. Just had to always give him a throw, I throw him an Android uh, 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 allegory every, every class, yes. Okay, so I think most of us here have been kind of meditating about the fact about the word. So if you keep on praying for something, whatever it is, Okay, so that's a fantastic question. I'm going to share with you uh, uh, the Talmud. Talmud is obviously the source for everything Jewish, everything, including recipes, by the way. <laughs> Got some great, like, potato crudel recipes. <laughs> Uh, uh, either way, yes. Oh, have you read those in Gittin, the cities? Very, very interesting. Uh, either way, um, so we find uh, two Talmuds. This is uh, they have in the same book, the Talmud in Nida, sixteen B. Remember this one. 30B, 30B is also, 30B is one of probably the most famous. 
So sixteen B. Remember, you guys know what A and B is? Of, you know, like this is a page. You have a page. Like a, I imagine this was a page. You have one side of the page and the back side of the page. Written on both sides. Simple. Genius. By the way, if someone tells you someone puts a Talmud on on one A or one B, you know that they're making it up because there is no such on page two. Every time it's such a page two. <laughs> How do you know if they're quoting the... Isn't there like a... Uh, when people say Talmud, they generally mean the Babylonian Talmud. Almost always. Uh, if, if they're referring to the Jerusalem Talmud, they'll say in the Jerusalem Talmud. So, before Ben finds it, in, 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 in the book of Nida, chapter... Uh, I don't know, chapter, I'm sorry. 16b, it says that the angel that is in charge of conception, the angel's name is Lila. And the angel takes the drop and brings it in front of God and says to God, will this drop be a rich person or a poor person? A smart person or not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? A strong person or a weak person? Thus, before conception, you know, that's what the message is, is that before conception it's determined if this person will be wealthy or poor, intelligent or, you know, not so sharp. Strong or weak? All predetermined. Is that right? Here's stupid. Stupid, is that? The Hebrew word is tipesh, so yes, stupid, okay. Where in that spectrum they're going to fit in? So, if I were to ask you the question, um, if someone is smart or stupid, that is that predetermined according to the Talmud? Is it predetermined or not? Yeah, it's predetermined. It's by conception. Uh, if someone's going to be wealthy or poor, predetermined. Right? Right? Is that right? Anyone want, is that negotiable according to the Talmud? Seems very clear. Okay, excellent. Let's move on to the same book, Nida, this time 70B. Okay, 70. Oh, and then not, righteous or righteous or wicked is not, okay, you know. I thought that was the point you're making. No, that's not the point. And the, 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 the Talmud there concludes that, however, whether they'll be righteous or wicked, that's not determined. And the, the, the punchline of the Talmud is that all is in the hands of heaven aside from fear of heaven. Uh, Wait, fast forward. Righteous, righteous or, or wicked. wicked, that's right. Hmm. That, that's in your hands. You know, your actions will determine. Like yes. Says the Talmud on 7DB. Same book. Ma ya'ase adam v'yit asher. What does someone need to do and become wealthy? So from the question, it seems like there is something that you could do to become wealthy. Wait a minute. Didn't you just tell me earlier that, uh, didn't you tell me earlier that, you no, know, it's predetermined before conception, way, way before we're done. I'm like, I'm telling you, yeah, hey, Jeff, you want to become wealthy? Well, the Thomas says, what should you come and do wealthy? So it seems like this is a conflict, right? Well, what, what's the answer? So the answer the Thomas is, is, is do a lot of business. What business? Commerce. Do business. And do business with integrity. That's a simple recipe for financial success. Do a lot of business. Do with integrity. Sounds, sounds fair, right? Says the Gemara. A lot of people tried that. And it didn't work. A lot of people work really hard and do business and putting up signs everywhere for their business and, and we're honest and it didn't work. They're still poor. 
Ella, rather, Yivachu Misha Oshoshlo. They should ask from he who has the money. And who has the money? Right? Leah Kesev, Leah Zavnum Hashem, the verse says the scripture God has the silver and the gold. God's the billionaire. Ask from God. So if it's about prayer, so why say do business, a lot of business, and do business with integrity? One without the other is not possible. So even if we're talking about prayer, to answer your question, Jeff, even if we're talking about prayer, prayer alone, lounging on the couch, doing nothing about it, I want to be wealthy, I want to be wealthy, like a, 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 a money's not going to parachute into your backyard. That's for sure not going to happen. However, if you have a mix of, of hard work, honest work, and prayer, that's a guaranteed formula to, to wealth, says the Talmud. And the insight here is, the insight is that even if, well, let's say the person before conception, the angel whose name was Lila, they took the drop and they came to God and says, wealthy or poor? God said, you know what, poor. <laughs> okay, you got sure in this thing, what can you do? God said, you're going to be poor. Well, does that mean that later on where it says, what does a person need to do and become wealthy that does not apply? Or no, much deeper. Even if naturally you are not someone who is bound to be wealthy, when the Talmud says if you do this combination of hard work, honest work, and prayer, you could change that. Once again, we see some of the potency of prayer. Prayer is changing realities. Changing realities. Just like Moses. Moses could have pushed through. He could have forced his way in. He could have flashed his way in uh, to, to Israel. Why? Because he wasn't meant to go back to Israel. The entire world would have to be reformulated. So what? Prayer could do that. In fact, the Talmud goes elsewhere in Yavamos, I think it's in the 60s, it tells us that uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac and their wives, we know that they all had a hard time having children. Uh, so the Talmud does ask the question, this is all at your credit, so I'm putting in this parenthetically. Uh, the Talmud asked the question, why, why were our forefathers, why were they all sterile? Or why were they all um, why, you know, barren? Forefathers and foremothers, or matriarchs and patriarchs. Why were they barren? It's a, it's a pattern. Abraham and Sarah and I, Isaac and Rebecca and Rachel, not uh, Leah, but Rachel. It's a pattern. It's clearly a pattern, right? So Thomas has a question. You know, what, why, 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 is it, why is this pattern? speaking in Hebrew because we have someone who understands Hebrew. Thus, you know, I can't. Because the Almighty seeks and, and covets the prayer of the righteous. I'm putting this parenthetically because I think it's a very strange or at least intriguing statement that the Almighty, who needs nothing, uh, is uh, is yearning or seeking or desiring the prayer of the righteous. But either way, in that same piece of Talmud, it says that Abraham and Isaac were sterile. Additionally, elsewhere in Chazal, it says that Sarah and Rebekah were uh, were um, uh, were um, I, think I don't know if sterile is a word, but they were not uh, they were not uh, uh, they were not um, designed to have children. And in fact, I found one source that says that they didn't even have uteruses, which is very bizarre. How do you not have a factory to produce babies and still produce babies? What, what do you do? Like, you produce it like a test tube babies? 
The Talmud says, essentially, that what changed is that they, it was miraculous, but it was through prayer. Via the prayer, they changed the reality. Someone is designed to be poor, prayer will change that. Someone is designed to not have children, prayer changed that. Right? Obviously, it doesn't mean that a simplistic prayer, and we'll, we'll get to more of the practical, how do you go about doing the prayers so your prayers will be answered? But it's a bit, you know, so, so if I just say, oh, you know, I want to do the prayer, let me quickly read this as fast as I possibly can, you know, uh, you know, mix, mixing words up and getting the shit of the sin mixed up, whatever, I'll do the prayer, you know, to fulfill my obligation, check my box. That's not going to do it. Deep, genuine, sincere prayer, obviously that's for sure, for starters, we're, you know, the, 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 the attitude of prayer. But that, that's the idea, where prayer is going to change uh, realities. Uh, So I mentioned that um, prayer is a mitzvah every day. It's a mitzvah to pray every day. Uh, what's the source? Where did the Torah say to pray? Who here knows what it says? Where, where, where did the Torah say? What's the verse saying that we should pray? I just know it's on observation. That what? That they prayed? Yeah, Abraham prayed in the morning. Abraham prayed in the morning. Isaac prayed in the afternoon. Jacob yeah. prayed at the evening, and that's why we have the three prayers every day, morning, afternoon, right. and evening. I didn't know there was a verse that said you should pray three times. In fact, it says several verses, but it doesn't say the word prayer. It says avodah. Avodah means service, worship. And Ezehu Yavodash Valev, what's this uh, worship that we're talking about? It's prayer. That's what it references. So it says, Many verses talk about you should serve God, or you should, you know, you should serve God. How do you serve God? With prayer. Now, can you give like the example of what you're talking about? Yes. Okay, in verse? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, or uh, in, uh, in um, uh, what is it? Chapter, maybe chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Do you want to go yeah, bring I the book? Get, get sure. the book. Bring that the book. Bring out the book. After the destruction of the Ezekiel and Daniel Yes, yes. The prayers, uh, according to the Talmud, brings the famous Talmud, uh, tells us the prayers are modeled after the uh, the the structure of the temple, the temple structure. Thus, there's a morning sacrifice, an afternoon sacrifice, and the evening, um, the evening as well. And I quote: "This is one of the sources that I can uh, think of at the top of my head." Uh, uh, this is from chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse uh, verse 12. Uh, now, O Israel, what does Hashem your God ask of you only to fear Hashem your God, to go in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve Hashem, serve Hashem. And the word for that in Hebrew, v'la'avod et Hashem alokecha. Uh, but the other uh, verses, you know this, but where's that verse? I knew that one. We'll find it. But there are, that's one example of those verses. But there's many, many of that same, uh, that same, Wait, those same you verbiage. It. You said it too quick. Where was it at? Sorry, I said it was chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, verse 12, I think, right? 12. 
So there's a mitzvah to pray. Now, when, when, how often to pray? So Maimonides tells us the mitzvah every day. The mitzvah every day to pray. Okay, so every day you got to pray. Fantastic. <clears throat> Nachmanides. Has everybody heard of Nachmanides, the character Nachmanides? It sounds like Maimonides, but it's a different guy. A few hundred years difference. Uh, he's uh, one of the major, major medieval uh, uh, Jewish rabbis, obviously, but philosophers, uh, um, uh, authors, halachists, major, a pivotal character. Not quite the same influence as the Rambam, Maimonides, but uh, you know, the next tier. Why? Because no one had, no one had a greater influence than Maimonides. You know, on Maimonides' grave, it says the following epithet. From Moshe till Moshe, no one arose like Moshe. Uh, thus, uh, thus the, um, the epithet on, on Maimonides' grave makes the claim that Maimonides was the greatest Jewish leader since the original Moses. Moses' Maimonides has, uh, has been greater than everyone since the previous Moses. Just, just the claim. That you know, two thousand five hundred years of uh, of um, of Jewish history and great Jewish leaders and Rabbi Judah the Prince and and Ezra and Hillel and Rabbi Akiva, but the, someone thought that it was appropriate that Maimonides' influence superseded all of them, which is that that alone kind of gives you an influence of the sphere, uh, uh, getting insight into the sphere of influence. But Nachmanides uh, writes in his commentaries that there's not a mitzvah to pray every day. There's a biblical mitzvah to pray, however, not every day. So, so when on Shabbat? No, not on Shabbat. On Yom Kippur? Also not. So when is there a mitzvah to pray? Once you, I don't know. In a time of distress, in a time of danger, in a time of great need. That is when there's a mitzvah to pray. Well, where he was living, that would have been every day. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is true. He is the, he is the rabbi for the disputation. Um, uh, which is um, the uh, he had a major debate uh, about the merits of, of Christianity or the, or the merits of, of JC. Uh, famous, famous debate that he had with a Jewish apostate. Uh, but it was done in front of the king, and the king guaranteed him that he has free reign to say whatever he wants. Uh, and then he obviously destroyed the guy in the debate, and he got a whole pile of coins, but then they came after to kill him and he had to exile. Pretty cool story. That's Nachmanides. Had he lost, he would have been beheaded. You know, the, the stakes were high. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The details. The details. <laughs> uh, so, Nachmanides writes that there's a mitzvah to pray in a time of great need. So if you're in that foxhole, right? There's the wall, okay, but that's that's when there's an obligation to pray. Otherwise, there's an obligation to pray. It's a mitzvah, but it's not an obligation. Now, does this sit well with you or not? Does it sit well with us, the fact that, that someone is commanded to pray, but only when you need it? You don't like it, Ben, right? You like it. <laughs> uh, no, it makes more sense than your commandment. General. Okay, so you say it doesn't make so much sense, but it makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, okay. You're doing it at a rope. You're doing it at a rope. 
you just do methodically. Yeah, you're doing mitzvat anashim lubada. So I think that uh, you guys are right. Uh, but I think at a problem, Ben. Ben, what's your problem with that? What's the problem with the guy who you know who? What's the problem with the guy who only prays when he needs it? Okay. Or what about your kid only calls you up from college? Say, hey, uh, Dad, how you doing? Uh, needs money. Uh, and they're like, okay, what do you need? You need the money, right? Money, computer help. Computer help. <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's that, and then we find we feel like that's wrong. Like you're like a fair weather fan, or you're uh, not a fair weather fan. You're a uh, Johnny come lately. You're only showing up when it's beneficial for you. And that's, is that, is that your problem uh, with that attitude? But careful. No, I'm talking to you, Ben. Oh. <laughs> ben, ben, I'm roping you in. Be careful. You're roping me in? Yeah, uh, just be careful. Dangerous. Dangerous? <laughs> I know. Ben, is that, is that a legitimate question? It's like, listen, you're coming to God when you need it, but when you don't need it, you just forget about God. Is that, is that we don't forget, or you know, you're not asking God for, you're not, Sociable type? Yeah. Like, that's, You're an introvert? No, that's the way our family is. That what? We, we can go a year without talking. It's no family. But it's, yeah. And we just don't, there's no need. Okay. So, someone praying that they can have more money to buy a BMW, that seems kind of like you don't need a BMW. Right. Air conditioning in Houston. What? Air conditioning. Air Swap those cars. Huh? I know. I was like, at, at least, at least then when you, um, Florida people, it doesn't, it doesn't change. You know, the atmosphere doesn't change. You know, like your glasses don't get fogged up. Where? Oh, it was still hot. Which is and insane. Still, still silly. I will take the other thing. Uh, so there's a difference in need and want. Well, I mean, so Proceed. So someone will say, they say that they need money, but why do they need money? Are they, do they think that what they want? But uh, your assertion that we ought to pray only for what we need is something that I disagree with. I think we should pray for what we want as well. We, you know, why are we selling ourselves short? Why don't we pray for the BMW? I, I don't get that. Let's pray for the BMW. Yeah, the Almighty loves us. He's a billionaire dad. Imagine your dad was a billionaire. You say, give me the Hyundai uh, Diatsu or whatever. No, you ask for the BMW. No, doesn't that make more sense? So not so you <laughs> so you pray for the Tesla. Maybe it's like gravity. Pray for something, but maybe you at least get something else. Yeah, okay, or yeah, for the stars. Who knows? Yeah, but no. But why? Why? Why are you so sure that we only should ask for what we need? No, this is our God. Think about that. Your dad is a billionaire. Get this in your head. Your dad's a billionaire. If he's a billionaire, why would you settle? For uh, for the uh, 
Honda Civic. Does he think he can take advantage of it? No, but that's what he wants. He wants to give yeah, us everything. Within reason. Huh? Within reason. Within within. Reason. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but maybe not. Let's yeah. live a life. You end up in my house. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, no, earlier you mentioned, you know, no. getting a 16-year-old BMW. You go home with him. That's silly. Okay, I, I related a similar example, not, not about was, me. Yeah, the other day. Um, and, but, but if you give someone, a, like, a 16-year-old a BMW or some really fancy, fancy car, if they, get the, if they get that at 16, what are they going to want for the next car when they're 30? Expectations, you see. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but remember, the, the Almighty could, he's not worried about expectations. Like, he, he could buy the whatever he wants, right? He could buy the island. Remember, that. But, I mean, the, if, if there's, you know, there's the, the, means, remember, there's we're dealing with no limitation. Like, the entire world is ours. So, I mean, I, 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 I can't. When uh, David Beckham, when he bought his wife uh, a yacht for her birthday. I thought I was going to get next year. Yeah. Ah, really and you wonder why you only get cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, if all you do is ask and ask and ask and ask and ask, and ask <laughs> so basically at some point, just leave me alone. Like but that's the, but that's but that's not what God wants. This is why He set it up in this way. I mean, the way that, you know Moses prayed five hundred and fifteen times. So if someone says, "Well, I want a BMW now." Okay, well, this, this, I think we could, we could still shelve this argument uh, to deal with your core point, which I forgot what it was. Sorry, give me one second to re- recalibrate here. Yeah, want versus need. Okay, so want versus need. But she's saying when someone is in, in, in a time of dire straits, they need something, then they have to pray. You're saying there's really two kinds of prayer. That's essentially what you're saying. There's a prayer for what you want, but you're in no immediate need, life or death need of, you know, of, of a salvation from God. Huh? Like maintaining the prayer. Yeah. Right, but the hamoti is more of like an appreciation, not to being grateful. Right, but you're not praying to have the bread when you have the bread already. You're praying for tomorrow's bread. You're praying for what you don't have. You're appreciating the bread that you have today with the prayer. You're praying for someone else to get healed. Or praying for someone else as well. Right, 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 right. right. Yes. But... I, I think that at the core of our problem of someone praying only when they need it, I think lies a massive misconception about what prayer is and what it is for and for whom it's for. I think perhaps we think, you know, that we're praying for God. And that's a severe mistake. God does not need our prayers. We are praying for us. Not for him. God does not need our prayers. Oh, I disagree with that. Again, another disagreement. Yeah, he needs our prayers. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need anything. Why does he need our prayers? So why does the Lord exist then? Okay, okay. So that's the best argument you could have given me, right? <laughs> uh, you say God wants to have a relationship with us, right? Right. 
right? But, it, it, but, but, but for us, for, for, for whom? Whom does John want that? For our benefit. He doesn't need the universe either. Right. Uh, so you say Galaga didn't need something, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do that. Right? Oh, we're digging deep here. Well, we we don't believe that. That's uh, that's uh, that's um, yeah. That's where God's uh, abandoning his people. You know, clever design, but then just you know, let it roam on autopilot. I mean, if he's not, I mean, if, if he, I mean, that's gonna make, if he's not there, if, he's not, if we don't pray to him, pray to him. Then he's basically not there. I mean, you have to talk to him. Otherwise, he's not there. Well, he's not there for he, he is there. Just well, we don't, you know, we're ignoring it. Yeah. But I, I, I so I, I okay. I'm I'm not going to argue with you outright. I think there is legitimacy what you're saying. However, the statement of God needing something that that's a foreign statement in Jewish thought for sure. Right. I would he agree that uh, that that well, God. He doesn't need us. Maybe God right. wanted, God wants our prayers, or God wanted the world. I didn't need the world, right? right? Remember, if God is just, pre, right? If he's outside of time, then he existed when the world didn't exist, thus he didn't need it. That's the, God's not dependent on anything. It's the very first line in Maimonides. Everything is dependent on God. Nothing's dependent, God is not dependent on anything. Thus you remove God from the equation, everything else ceases to exist, and you move everything else in the case, God does not cease to exist. Thus, by definition, God doesn't need our prayers. You could say God wants a prayer. I'm more comfortable with that. We'll call a truce. <laughs> yeah, let's call the truce. <laughs> ben, you okay with that? Yeah, everyone's fine with that? God wants a prayer, certainly. But God doesn't need a prayer. We're not praying for God. We're praying for us. You know what? I pray I feel better. I feel good. Oh, okay. Excellent. I feel That's good. one thing we may gain. What else, what else might we gain? What else might we gain? Okay, like a clarification of purpose. We could gain, we could actually gain the stuff that we're asking for, right? Right? Which, if you know, if you pray for something, and that prayer could actually affect the change, like the, the wealth or the BMW, or the, like you say, it makes you feel good, or even humility. You know, uh, by definition, prayer is humbling because prayer means I. It's not in my hands; it's in God's hands. Right? It's in my hands by by the fact that I could pray for it, but ultimately, it's God who's going to be yay or nay. Go ahead, go ahead. Prayer is going to change the world because it's going to bring God into the world. You know, we talk about the world being broken in Tukur Alam. Well, why is it broken? It's broken because God's not around. Well, you suddenly, suddenly you introduce the idea of God and say, oh, God's going to be the health. And God, right? That's building faith. But there you are know, certain prayers that you Guaranteed prayers? Guaranteed prayers, right? So, for example, I see like online, you know, uh, like uh, if women put column, you get X amount of women put column on Shabbat, then or, or, or Shabbat, then it's like, oh, okay, you got the mitzvah for praying for the sick. I see that all the time. But what, what, like, I'm just using that as a Guaranteed. You, you know what I'm talking about? I'm thinking there's one guarantee in, in, in that I can think of uh, in, why, why in, in Jewish scholarship. Why do they like that example? Like I see online. They, they yeah, because 
You wanted the real reason, or you wanted the silent hole reason? Or I guess that might be the same. Uh, Sorry. You wanted the, the politically <coughs> correct answer or the silent hole reason? Someone around here really likes fresh pollen. <laughs> no, I mean, I see that all the time. Like, yeah. Um, They're like, oh, this person's sick. I think, I think the, the challah baking is a, um, it's a nice uh, overlap between what our bodies want and what our souls maybe want also. It's like the sweet spot. You know, it's like, who doesn't like the wafting smell of freshly baked challah? No one. That's right. Like, we all love challah, just our bodies, you know? And our souls know that challah has deep meanings, of course, and the two beds and the Shabbat and everything. That's why I think it's very popular. As opposed to, you know, uh, sitting, locking yourself in the room and studying the Talmud for 10 hours. You know, that's very, very, very appealing for our souls. Very Way more than Kala, I assure you. However, our bodies are like, man, 10 hours studying Talmud. Man, really? You know, that's the reason why it's the preferred method. Oh, I just lost my chance. Oh, I didn't lose it. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I was just so is there like a guarantee? Oh, so yeah. So what's the only yeah. guarantee here? Just write down another thought here before I forget it. Yeah. Well, what's the pay to do? You know, the, yes. Um, there's one guarantee. Can you t- think of the... Uh, uh, which uh, which uh, which guarantee do you think of? Death and taxes. Well, that's what Benjamin uh, Franklin said, right? <laughs> Speaking of that today, Wait, what, what are you talking when you say you ask for it tomorrow? Well, means I, I was saying that prayer is about getting what you don't have. Blessings are about appreciating what you do have. Um, so we find we find in, uh, in the Talmud, there's one guarantee. I'll tell you, it's one guarantee. This, you, you want guarantees, sure things. There's only one sure thing that the Talmud brings. You know that is, you for sure know what it is. Uh, I don't know where it is. Um, uh, I don't know where it is, but I'll, t- I'll start saying it and see if we can finish it. Aser Bishvil. There you go. See that? Look at that guy. Look at him. That was a trivial phone and his son. Oh, uh, no, it isn't. That's in, in Bobotama. So, come on, it's in Bobotama. <laughs> 117A. Uh, thank you. He picked up his eyebrows? Yeah, yes. So, so it's like this. Aser. Ma'aser. Who knows what Ma'aser is? Ma'aser. Huh? Hiding. It's not. It's Tithing. Talmud says, and he said it's Ta'anit 10. I'll have to check him up on that. Uh, but I'm sure he's right. Been right before. So Talmud says that if you tithe, if you give 10% of your money to charity, Aser Bishvil Shetit Asher. Right? The word Aser and Tit Asher sound the same, right? They sound very similar. Which means tithe in order that you should become wealthy. And it says as follows. It says, don't test me on anything. That's, don't test me. This you test me on. This is the one thing that I want you to check your finances. Try me out. Give the ten percent of your money to charity and see what it does to you if you become wealthy. That's the only guarantee I can think of. Yes. Well, um, Maimonides gives uh, the highest degrees of charity. The best charity, 
possible is where you help a poor person who is also in your neighborhood, who is also a Torah scholar. That's the highest level of charity. Like, I think the closest, you know... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the best is where you don't know about it, right? But the best recipient of the charity is 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 the Torah scholar and Ania Erechot Trodmim. The 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 poor, am I right? I was right. You're wrong. Sorry, really, we one seven. Right, the story probably just twice. So first of all, it's one seven. Nine. It's what? It's honey, page nine, not ten. But then uh, he looks at it and he dies, and it's he gets it. Okay, so that's okay. Did you check Baruch Hamel one seventeen? Yeah, the story is probably twice or three. No, that's a, the, oh, that's with Rav Kahana. Of Yochanan, Rav Kahana, who dies? Okay, so it happens twice. But Rav Kahana, one seventeen, you check it out. Okay, vindication. I'm sure you're right as well. I just check it out. Don't vilify me before you're looking at one seventeen now. No, I'm looking at turning the head. Look at Rav Kahana, one seventeen a. Look at towards the bottom. I read all of That's the story, Rav Kahana. I never said anything about Ravana. I sorry, know. Ravana. sorry. I, I just thought I heard eyebrows lifted and then dying, and that's. Uh, I thought you should kill people. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we're okay. yeah. So one seventeen a. It's a very big page. So, but it's towards the end, eighty percent of the way down. Uh, so the best kind of charity is the charity with supporting Torah scholars, poor Torah scholars. So my preferred thing that I give my, the most money to is to the aforementioned Mir Yeshiva. What about the Yeshiva, that, the, that Yeshiva that I went to? So the Yeshiva obviously have uh, appreciation for it. Um, but also it is a, it's, it's you know, they, they provide stipends. You know, some of the greatest Torah scholars in the world are in that Yeshiva and they provide stipends for them. And these are people living on, in ab, some of them in abject poverty. poverty. Um, but they're doing it because they're dedicated to life of Torah study. That's the, you know, it's, but they don't, they're not in Houston, so that element of them being local uh, it was not present, but everything else is present. Uh, well, some, well, not, no, that is Israel. Right. But supporting Torah. You know, that's absolutely right, yeah, you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we appreciate that. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, um, what was I saying? I just lost my train Oh, yeah, but supporting Torah, like that's that's you know people, you know, the easiest thing to fundraise for, the hardest thing to fundraise for is Torah, because it's the one thing that does not have the the Eitzarat does not want us to give money to, to they want us I mean, they want us to be very philanthropic when it comes to like the arts, like donate some sort of like eight hundred million dollar painting that doesn't change anyone's life, doesn't help anyone's life. That does that has an appeal to us, you know, uh, to put your name on splash your names on buildings that have uh, in you know on universities that have endowment funds in the, in the ten, tens of billions. That's that's what we like covet to have our you know the the most ineffectual kind of charity, but the most impactful charity where you just do it quietly. You don't need to tell anyone, and you support some Torah, Torah project, Torah individual like that. And you don't get any publicity. That's the best kind of charity. Thus, it's the least appealing. Because if it would be the most appealing, then uh, then everyone would do it, right? Just like all mitzvahs, mitzvahs aren't exciting. No one, no, no one, no one sees the matzah and starts drooling. <laughs> yeah. But when you watch those uh, Burger King commercials, right, that's when you start drooling. Well, what's, well, well, one's a mitzvah, 
and one's a, a, a sin, a transgression, right? So how is it fear if they were both equally exciting? Well, then no one would sin. The only way to have balance is where the sin is alluring. You know, the sin is exciting. It's enchanting. It's intriguing. It, you know, it's, it's, it's desiresome. And the mitzvah is like a little flat, matzah, crunchy, expensive, you know, that, that, and then fear. And then we have to have the struggle. Okay, what are we going to do? You know, same thing with everything, but also with charity. The, the, the things that are the best forms of charity are the ones that are least exciting for us to give. You know? So, I'm just writing something off topic. You have to talk to your HKA about the passive I, I know this is way off topic, but you just remember you Sure. They, they put non-kosher Passover matzah in the kosher section. HTA did that? No, Kroger does it. Yeah, Kroger, Kroger, that's terrible. Yeah, but HTB does it. They put the hummus matzah. Oh my goodness! And then they put the kosher. They put the kosher matzah like in a separate aisle. Like far, far away. Yeah. Like far, far away. Is it in cap or something? Not sometimes it's on the yeah, inside. Yeah, it's, it's on the inside. Yeah, but they, they have to. Yeah, on the kosher aisle where it's the matzo, it's the non-kosher Yeah, but people, I mean, people, people, people don't think about it. They just that see matzah it. Yeah. It's going to be cool. Matzah, matzah, matzah. 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 I know, but I mean, they're common persons. 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 They're common but yeah, Sorry. Alex, I will tell Alex that. So, back to prayer. So, you were looking for guaranteed that, that's how we got there. Guaranteed prayer, we said guaranteed. Yes, yes. Now, um, Prayer, we mentioned uh, that now prayer. Well, it's, it's you know, when in the agricultural societies it was built into the system. You know, so the tithing of my solution was Shani, Truma, uh, but then we still have a mitzvah of Tzedakah, we still have a mitzvah of, 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 of supporting those uh, uh, that are less fortunate than us, you know. And uh, you know this is a this is a, uh, this is a and this is a guarantee. He said it's Ta'anit nine nine A or B nine A. It's a guarantee. It says test me. God says test me. Other errors don't test me. This test me. Seems pretty bold, um, but uh, it's remarkable. It's that's the guarantee. Well, why so, does it say test? God is telling you because obviously it, it, it's counterintuitive. You know. If I give, if I make, I don't know, 100,000, then I give 10,000, I'll have less. I'll have 90,000. It's less than what I would have had otherwise. Uh, so it seems very counterintuitive to say that this is the way to get, get wealthy. Right? 
No, it's not about cash. This is not metaphorical. This is this is cash. It's not meta- okay, so it's not. Meta- no, no, it's it's basically very clear. Test me, test me with the budget. Check me out. You know, you start giving ten percent, you'll become wealthier. And obviously, I, I think the reason why maybe we'll perhaps to answer your question why we're spurred about to do that is because it's counterintuitive. It's, it seems it seems the, the opposite would be would be true. You have to do that. God says, test me, test him. This is the area we a lot of tests. Well, at the same time, like you said, you have to be doing something about it too. You could just say, yeah, well, I'm going to tie in. Somebody's going to walk up to my door with a bag of cash. It's not going to happen. Well, the money has his ways. He'll find a way to get you the money. What's the big deal? The money will figure out ways. Or, you know what will happen? Or, uh, there's also an, a, 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 a stream of thought in, in Jewish. In Jewish, uh, in Jewish uh, um, philosophy, that you'll be safe from offenses. God says, "Listen, you know, you make a hundred thousand, but really, you're walking away with sixty. You know, because someone might, uh, you might go over your deductible, or you might, uh, your kid might need dental work, or you might need dental work. You know, God has this set number that He wants you to be at. You know, uh, and if you give the money to charity, okay, maybe you'll have less of those expenditures, and the net result will be more." Either way, you'll have more money. You'll feel wealthier. You know, or, right? That will be fulfilled. How God will do it, maybe he'll do it that way. Maybe you'll just come, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll come across some more money. You'll get the raise. Whatever it is, it'll happen. You'll never, you may not. You will know. Test him. Test him. It says that. What does it say? Read, could you read the, read the verse? Let's read what it says. Measurable. You know what you have. Check out your money. Follow your budget. Keep a 12-month running diary. And then start giving ten percent, or maybe but start giving ten percent. See, check it out. It's money. It's finances. It's where is it? To the top. I said that. I said it's the share. You can't measure that, right? Because you get like, okay, I earn this much salary this year, and okay, I get ten percent of it. A year later, I still you just test it, but you can't say, oh, it's because my wife didn't get cancer, and so we didn't have hundred thousand dollars medical. You can't say right. that because you didn't see. It. How do you measure the non expenses? That's right. yeah. So it's a whole whole time about this. Yeah, so this is the exception. Tom is very clear. <laughs> this is the I'm about to check your text messages. Is that weird? Sorry. I'm like, oh, like, oh, you got a test message. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was in his phone. Uh, so, yes. So, you want to know how, 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 how it's going to be quantified? Uh, I, I don't know if that, uh, it seems like it'll be quantifiable. How? I don't know. But it, it should be. It's, it's finances. It's rigid numbers. So I mentioned that we pray. One of the reasons why I pray is we said faith and getting our stuff. And you mentioned which you feel good. We talked about humility. Um, you know, where God says, you know, well, it's like maturation. I, this is what I want to give you, but I want you to earn it, so to speak. Um, we find a very disturbing statement in, in Rashi. Uh, it says as follows. So Isaac and Rebecca are barren. No, no kids, and they start praying. So Isaac's praying, and Rebecca's praying. And what happens? The Almighty heeds their prayer, and Rebecca gets pregnant. She has twins, and Isaac and, and Jacob and Esau, and the whole story, right? If you read it very critically, 
um, you just read it slowly, it makes it very clear that the Almighty listens to his prayer. His prayer. Not her prayer. And Rashi asks the question, so wait a minute, why is Isaac's prayer more effective than Rebecca's prayer? They're both praying. It should seem reasonable that maybe it was a collaborative effort, or you know, maybe she listened to her. You know, she's uh, women are always more spiritual, more te- more likely to pray. Or you know, why why is Isaac? And it says specifically, God listen to Isaac's prayer. So Rashi says, "She'eno dome tfilat tzaddik ben tzaddik tfilat tzaddik ben rasha." It's incomparable the prayer of a righteous person the son of a righteous person, to the prayer of a righteous person, the son of a wicked person. Isaac, his father, was Abraham. And Abraham was obviously righteous, righteous, and Isaac was righteous as well. Thus, the prayer of Isaac is the prayer of someone who is righteous, the son of someone who is righteous. Rebecca, she was righteous, but her dad was a thug. Like her dad tried to assassinate the guy who came to arrange the marriage, just if you read a little bit more deeply into the story. Her, his, her dad was wicked. Thus, the prayer of Isaac is more effective than the prayer of Rebecca. Now, what's more remarkable? The person who comes racks to riches, the person who grew up and the family already had all the connections and the family already knew what they're doing and they just follow along the path. What's the more remarkable story? Who's more impressive? Four. For sure. Someone who made something despite the circumstances. Rebecca grew up in a house that her dad was a thug. Her brothers are obviously, you know, one of the you know one of the biggest tricksters and uh, and and uh, uh, the, one of the most dishonest people in town. And she somehow managed, you know, through some uh, I guess hard work and 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 tenacity, she became righteous. I would think that her prayer should be more effective. Why is his prayer more effective? That's a good question, no? Doesn't make sense. Just because your dad is righteous, you should be, have a more effective prayer? What do y'all say? Anyone else wants to present an... Everyone hears the question? Is it a legitimate question? It is? I think an answer, guys. Because by answering for Isaac, he's going to have his prayer. Well, the, well, did Abraham know who's Abraham? Is happy to have grandkids. So, I like that; it's clever, you know. But Abraham, I'm sure, liked his daughter-in-law as well, right? Maybe some other different reasons other than the fact that that's what Well, it seems very clear that the reason why Isaac's prayer is more effective was specifically because of him being a righteous person, a righteous person. This is a very problematic statement here. Why? Just because you have a, a greater yichus, as they say in Yiddish, you should have a more effective prayer? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. So, what I heard from my grandfather, my grandfather was a very uh, influential rabbi in Israel. Um, and he, in his commentary that he wrote on the Chumash, he said this following fascinating idea. His prayer is about... The, the, the work that we do when we pray is humbling ourselves in front of God. It's coming to God and saying, I'm nothing. I'm subjecting myself. I'm subjugating myself. I'm, 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 I'm lower than you. I'm, I'm humbling myself. Who 
Or for whom is it easier to humble? Who is more likely, which one of the two, the righteous son of the righteous or the righteous son of the wicked, which one, for which one of them is it harder to humble themselves? Right, Much harder, right? Because me, I'm, I'm a righteous, my dad's righteous. When someone has like, you know, shaky foundation, so to speak, well, they, they can't be so, you can't be so pomp, you're pompous. Because your dad, your dad's a thug. Like, you know, who are you? You don't, you don't belong in the room, you feel like. So you're more naturally inclined to be humble. But if someone is that as righteous, for them, it's very hard to actually humble themselves. Thus, Isaac and, and Rebecca, they both have the same prayer. However, for Isaac, it was harder to get there. He had to work harder to humble himself more to make sure that he was the same level as Rebecca in the prayer. Thus, his prayer was harder to achieve, thus it's more effect, effectual. Just like we have a principle all over Jewish practice, where it is the harder it is to do something, well, the greater impact that it has, the very spiritual vitality it has. You can argue the same way, but you work harder to get that righteous love. Okay, yes, but the prayer and the humbling specifically is, is easier for her. Thus, it's, it's, it's less effective. So what about Rachel? What about it? Well, you read it simply. It seems that Leah, she, she was underappreciated or underloved. Or, you know, she had second-class uh, status in the family. And she was compensated by having, you know, it seems like it was clear, most sources did, that everyone knew that Jacob was going to have 12, 12 sons. That was pretty clear. Everyone knew that going in. Question is, who was actually going to get those 12 kids? Um, <clears throat> so, she had six of them, Leah. He just grabbed half of them. Her sister Rachel had only two. Two of her own and two of her, uh, her, of her maidservant, which was a common practice. Um, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah did that as well. Where... Um, and this is another example, by the way, of that same principle that spiritual actions um, have real ramifications. You know, Sarah says to Abraham, okay, I'm barren. You know what the solution is? What's the solution? How do we change? How do we, how do we mend that? Why don't you marry my cleaning help? Hagar. Hagar. Huh? How is this going to help you? It was the same the verse. It says uh, we lost the verse there. We lost the book. But the verse makes it very clear. Sarah says to Abraham, marry Hagar, my maidservant, in order that I should have kids. What does what does that have to do with the price of tea in China, as they say, right? You know, or the, the price of votes in Iowa, right? Uh, what does it do with anything? Like why should the uh, why should the Abraham marrying Rebecca uh, Sarah's Maidservant, well, how did that compel Sarah to have a baby? Right. What happens to a woman when she suddenly has competition? Right? It's very humbling. She had a status, so she lost that status. Essentially, what she is saying, what Rebecca's, what, what, what Sarah's saying, I'm going to do something which is very bad for me. Right? I'm, I'm suddenly opening myself, I'm, I'm opening my husband to someone else. Right? Who, which woman wants that? No woman wants that. But that makes me more humble. Thus, my prayer is more effective. Thus, the likelihood of my prayer being answered and me having a baby grows up. 
it's pretty radical, of course. But that's what it says. Sarah says, marry Hagar, I will have a baby. Do something that I absolutely abhor, absolutely detest, absolutely cannot stand. That will humble me and I'll be more effective in my prayer and I'll be more successful in the prayer. Pretty remarkable idea. I think. What do y'all think? You like it? It is crazy, huh? So, um, so, so that's what prayer is about. I <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what prayer is about. Now, um, how, do, how do we pray effectively? How do we get our prayers answered? But yes, we, we talked about the different attitudes, being sincere, being, um, uh, being, uh, being humble. Let me share with you guys a few stories here, you know, make it easier. Um, I had, a, uh, I had a friend in high school. In high school, we have um, three prayers a day in the yeshiva. And there was this one guy, I was in ninth grade, you know, a little, you know, five foot one, 13 year old boy with some grandiose visions, but, you know, very little accomplishments still to, to this day. Uh, and so there's this, this older student in the yeshiva who, every time we're about to pray, he pulls out a tie from his jacket and puts on this, like, sunny tie. I walked over to him, I said to him, what's the deal? Like, you know, like, it was, this is not some sort of prep school that everyone's wearing ties. Like, he's the only one in the building wearing a tie, uh, but only for prayer. So he told me, he says, if you had an audience with the president, if you had a meeting with the president, now, your political affiliations aside, I don't know if you like the current president or the previous president, either way, I'm pretty sure that if any one of us had a meeting with the president, we would put on a tie. Right? You shave all nice, you put on a jacket. <laughs> Wait, <what are> you? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, okay. Uh, but the, the, that's, that, the, that's acceptable. You know, the, you're, talking, you're talking to you know, to a very important or powerful person, and you, it's kind of respect for the, for the office. You're talking to the Almighty God. No term limits, right? No checks and balances. Been around forever, will be around forever. You're not going to wear a tie? What do you call To me, this was like a, a, a tremendous lesson. Like, I think it's still valid to this day. To him, when he came to prayer, he was talking to God. To me, I was doing what I need to do. I'm getting this over with. I got, oh man, another prayer. I got to say all these words and got to do all these things. And it's not so stimulating necessarily. You know, it's a hard thing to do. It's, it's work. For a reason. It's work. But to him, he was talking to God. And this is real. Like he's really talking to God. No less. I and mean, he, he, he had no less trepidation, perhaps. Or, or, or he had some measure of trepidation, just like you would have talking to someone of, of, of importance. You know, you organize your thoughts. If you were to talk to the, if you were to talk to the president, you know, you have 10 minutes tomorrow, right? Even if you don't wear a tie. But you probably outline your, your conversation. You, you'd structure it. You'd think about what you want to say. How am I going to say it? Should I say this word or that word? You know, what exactly, which words am I going to use exactly? You know, if you're talking to God, well, maybe you should also organize your prayer. Think about what you're saying before you say it. You know, I, um, I think that, um, I once heard this great analogy. Um, but this guy in uh, Iowa, Nebraska, you know, one of the states that you only, you only hear about two times, those two times you hear about Iowa, Nebraska. 
it's either it's either uh, about college sports or it's about like the election. Yeah, that's the only time they ever show up on the national uh, stage. So uh, you're living in Iowa, Nebraska, and you uh, and you you have a pothole forming, a very nice, sizable like New York City pothole forming right outside your driveway. So you call up the uh, pothole control and you say, "Listen, I got some pothole." Uh, they say, "Sure, sure, we'll take care of it." They don't take care of it. You know, it's getting worse and worse, and you need the alignment, and it's really bad. You call up, you're doing everything. You call the municipality, and you're calling up the, uh, the the mayor's office, and you're calling your senator, but they don't pick up. And you call the congressman, and he says, "I'll take care of it." Nothing happens. Finally, one day, out of a whim, you call the White House. And before you know it, you're speaking to the president. You tell him what's the deal, right? And the next morning you wake up and there's a team of engineers. And they're working and they make sure that the, the, the road is perfect. That is prayer. Prayer is where you go straight to the one that has all the power. You don't have to deal with any intermediaries. You know, we don't pray... like. Antithetical to Jewish life is praying to anything but, but God. We don't pray to anything but God. Nothing. Moses is here. We don't pray to him. We pray to God. That's it. Prayer is that red telephone, the direct link to the president. Straight to ask God whatever you want. And I want to tell you guys a secret. We, have, unfortunately, associate prayer with synagogues, with kippahs, with Hebrew with prayer shawls, we have kind of a model of what prayer is. When in fact, what prayer really is, is man talking to God. That's what someone gave me that definition. Now, the best kind of prayer is where man really is wearing that tie, you know, or really is on that phone with the president in their mind. They're talking to God. And the best way to talk to the president is how? In what language? If you call a president, you'd say you start talking to him in, in Latin. <laughs> right? No, you talk to him in English. Right? You converse in a way that you feel comfortable. The best way to talk to God is to speak to God in English. And to speak from your heart. And make it real. Make it genuine. Make it sincere. That's the best kind of prayer. What happened? Why, now, why, is, our prayer, why is our prayer codified? The reason is because people were negligent. People weren't fulfilling their obligation. They weren't talking to God enough. And thus, the, uh, the court of Ezra made a determination that they, we have to mandate prayer to be in a, in, a, in a communal setting. We have to mandate a formalized prayer. We have to have uh, all structured and organized and codified, because otherwise people aren't praying. But that does not negate uh, the core element of what prayer really is. Man talking to God. I, I, I always say this. I say, someone says, well, I'll pray. I can't pray every day. I gotta put on my fill in. It takes so long. Uh, well, no, it doesn't. And why does it not? Because prayer really is talking to God. Where? What, wherever. When? Whenever. Right? In the car. So in the car. Shower. You know, I have, I have people that, people, I have this guy who said, you know, I would talk to God, but I don't want to be that guy who's like by the stop sign, you know, by, you know, by the light. It's like mouthing the words. You think like they're singing the song or like, is it worst comes to worst, people think you're on your Bluetooth, right? Talk to God wherever. I know there was a guy 
but back before the Bluetooth days, when he would have to pray, he would, but he was in a public setting, he would go into a public phone, phone booth. Or pick up the phone, he would dial someone, but he'd start talking, you know, praying. But then people, people would think that he's all weird talking to himself. But I, you know, I tell my kids, I, I was listening to a recording that I gave um, of this subject. I, a year, two and a half years ago, I spoke about prayer uh, to a group of young adults in our young adult division. Uh, and I was listening to it uh, last week, and I heard uh, an episode that I told, that I told uh, where uh, the day before I gave that class, my son, my oldest son, Akiva, we had just gotten a bunk bed. And he woke up in the middle of the night, and he told me he has a terrible dream. What's the dream? That the bunk bed collapsed on top of him. Which is a pretty terrifying you know, Right? So I, so I told him, I said, Akiva, talk to God. Pray to God. Speak to Hashem. Hashem can hear you. Remarkably. Hashem understands very good uh, conversational English. And said, again, Hashem, please make sure that this bed doesn't collapse on me. And once you're talking to him, say, that encourage my kids. Say, talk to God. In English. All the time. You know? And uh, it doesn't have to be about things that you absolutely need. But anything. Right? You're opening up a relationship. You develop a relationship. And you're also, you're also achieving that humility. All the great themes about prayer are not necessarily only achieved in the, in the synagogue. The synagogue is very limiting. You know, it's, it's well, so the synagogue is only open on Saturday, or some synagogues like that you have to get a ticket to come in. You know, if you go to Beth Hashur and then you're Kippur, but you don't have a ticket, they won't let you in. But God is everywhere. Everywhere that you seek Him out. There's so many sources that, that verify this. It's absolutely clear. The Jewish perspective is that God hears you wherever. Right? Speak to God. All the time. It's very simple. Like, forget about the books and the prayer shawls and the yamakas and the Hebrew and all that. Right? That makes it harder, not easier to pray. You know? And I, I tell people, this is that I know people that talk to God every day. Multiple times. And before you go out and drive and say, you know, help me with the, help me with the drive. You know, God, help me with the drive. God hears you. And as you develop this habit, it becomes second nature. Anytime you need anything, you just say, you, you pray. And you're a different person now. Your faith is totally different. God is involved in your life day to day. And then you don't have to like take time out. You know, you're walking from your cubicle to the water cooler, right? Or you're walking into your office, you're gonna have a very busy day. Just say, okay, Almighty God, help me with my day. Help me with the sales call. You know, help me with my kids, putting them to sleep and having them stop pulling my hair out, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> Any one of these little themes. Oh, yeah, I wasn't. I, I have those experiences all the time. I wasn't at all referring. No, no, no. I, I don't know if that was implied or that's no, understood. No, no, no. He's, he's that's right. Then my kids. Uh, I have. I have one of those kids who just. You know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Are you listening? You know, so what, what happens once you do that? What happens to someone when every, even slight need that they have, every slight trouble that they have, every seemingly almost insignificant challenge that they're faced with, they, they approach God. What happens to their life? How does their life change? 
It's empowering. It's 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 kind of like outsourcing. You're outsourcing your problems with God. Like God is involved with you in your on your day to day lives, and that's what He wants. You know, God wants to be involved with us, and prayer is a tool that we use. There's a great um, verse in Tehillim: Hashlech al Hashem Yahavecha Vuhiyachalecha. Means cast upon Hashem your troubles. The Almighty telling you, listen, I have broader shoulders than you do. You may have a million problems. You know, these, these brilliant engineers, and they have these problems all day. They're facing problems, right? You have problems, you know? Brilliant. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, ooh, that's thankful. Go, uh, uh, but you have problems. And it's okay to say, you know what? God help me with this problem. I'm facing a problem. That is what he wants. And you may think, well, I don't want to trouble God with my nonsense. No, that's exactly what he wants. He wants you to trouble him. That's why he said pray every day. That's, that, that's why. You know? And But what it'll do for you is that, think about that. Every, how many times do we get stressed about what happens in life? You know, like if we see like a pile of laundry, you know, I don't know if people do laundry or not, whatever. It's like a mound of laundry, or you see like a to-do list that's so long, you're pushing it off, and it's just it's getting overwhelming. Or you have a very busy day or a very tense day, and it's overwhelming. How often do we have that experience? Some more than others, right? Some there are those people that you know that just have no problem making phone calls and like they don't procrastinate or whatnot. But some people, you know, do that and they overwhelm. You have prayer, and suddenly it's not just you. You're not alone in life anymore. It's not just you suffering. It's like, hey, I'll do, I brought the Almighty into my life and it's his issue as much as it is mine. Yeah. And the Almighty says that, I, I want that. I think it's, it's going to have such far-reaching positive effects on our life. So, so what I want to do is like this, guys. I want to see, I want to make a challenge. I want to make a program. I want everyone to try this. Now, you might feel weird. If you've never done this before, you probably will feel weird. But if you if you have uh, if you try it, I think it might it's, a, it's an eye opening experience. I, I think it, or it could be, uh, but it's about sincerity, you know. You know, if you believe in God, and I assume we all do here. Uh, you obviously believe that He is a it has the power by definition, right? And He could hear you, and He could change your life, or He could help you in small or even medium and big ways. Try it. Don't do it when anyone else is around. Don't do what everyone's watching, you know? But do it. And you may find that it's, it's very natural, you know? I, my, my grandfather said a story. Um, the verse says in uh, Exodus, um, so the Jewish people are surrounded. You know, they have the water, and then they have, they're surrounded by the Egyptian army. Kind of like the exact opposite of what Sharon did to them, you know, where he surrounded them. All right, so they're surrounded, they're cornered. You, you see your enemy barreling down. What do they start doing? They started things, right? right on each side. Yes, that's right. Right, 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 right. But the verse says that they started praying to God. Rashi says, famous Rashi, Tafsu umnot avotam. They grabbed. They 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 seized the seized with the s. Uh, I guess I e z e d. I don't know if it's i e or e i. Sorry, not s e. That's. C-E-A-S-E-D. Yeah, seized, grab. They grabbed, they seized the craft of their forefathers. 
the player. Players hold a craft. Uh, you so, know, you go ahead. That's why I said to this point. Yeah. The guy that actually went into the yes, water. Yes, 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 yes. But so, I, to his point. Yeah, of course, of course. And we, you know, there was the, the great story with that guy who says, um, the guy who, uh, uh, who's in the sailboat, I've heard this story, he's in the sailboat, or he's shipwrecked, and he's praying, praying, and God sends him all that, and he's like, I can't, I'm waiting for God, and then he drowns. <coughs> so God's like, I sent you something, you know? I sent you the, the dinghy, and I sent you the lifeboat, and I sent you the, I sent you everything, but you just sent it, you know? Right? Awesome. It's like when when you're saying a joke or a story that everyone knows, it's kind of hard to say patiently. Like say it with every detail, you know? Like you feel everyone's frustration, like get it over with. We've heard this before. Um, so, okay, so it's it, it's a craft. Prayer is the craft of our forefathers. Craft is like something that you do for a living. You know, like you have a, if you have a, a an expert surgeon and they're waking up in the middle of the night, you have to do emergency surgery right now. I, I, we'll, we'll see if this actually is uh, if how much of a craftsman you are after we finish. So, so the so the uh, so the surgeon is all groggy eyed, and they get some water and they dab their face, but they're still exhausted. They put their shirt on and they go like this to the right. They go to the hospital and they start doing surgery. But they didn't be told what to do, and no, they just snap right into it and they just do it out of habit, out of out of, out of they're reactionary. You know, it's 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 muscle memory. That's what our practice. The muscle memory of a Jew in a time of great need, prayer. My grandfather said a story that he that one of his students told him that in the 1948 war, in the war of independence of Israel, his student was on was on a boat. The boat was a, bo- a bunch of soldiers, um, and they were the early Zionists. So very ideologically Zionistic, but also very, very left-wing, very, very, very socialist, and very anti-religious. That is that that is that was the maker of the Mapamniks uh, were on the boat. And the boat was hit by a torpedo, and it started sinking. And as it became clear that they were in grave danger, almost in unison, he said, everyone started praying, screaming to God, "Where did it come from?" That is deep down in the psyche or, or, or the, the fabric of the Jewish soul is a reaction to challenges of prayer. So I'm telling you guys here is that when we pray, we may feel a little bit awkward at first, but we'll feel like we've been there before. This is a common language. This is something we knew once as kids, maybe. It will feel natural. It won't feel so awkward for, for long. So that's what I'm saying. I want to do this, this program, see if we can do this. Let's try. Uh, that when we, you know, this week, let's at least let's try to do at least once once a day. Let's try. You know, it's not mandatory. I'll force anyone to do anything. I'm not saying you better do it or else you'll you'll flunk the course. Try it. It's an exercise. But I think the potential upside is is insane. Like, like we already spoke about some of them. There's a lot more about that. You know, but prayer is a power that's so potent that like we saw the examples of Moses and Sarah. But but even for us, it's a power that we could. Um, we could accomplish so much more than what we could pretend, you, you even dream of. In fact, I remember reading this once, um, that the greatest regret, uh, I don't remember where this is sourced, um, so I'm not going to, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know if this is in the Talmud or if this is in one of the books of, 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 of Jewish writings, one of the many, many, many hundreds of thousands of books that have written, been written on, in Jewish scholarship. 
Uh, but I remember hearing once that the greatest regret someone has when they die is that they did not utilize the power of prayer. Because the, you know, the, the, the most pain that you could possibly have is not when you get slugged over the face. You know, that's painful. But even more painful is the grief and the anguish of missed opportunities. You know, it's like, it's a lot more painful to have had it in your hands and you just, you just let it slip through your fingers. You know, greatness or success or whatever. Uh, prayer is here. It's in our hands. You know, let's try to seize it. Let's, 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 let's give it a week. Let's give it a week. Um, and just try it. And do it in a way that will have minimal awkwardness. You know? Do it by yourself. Do it in English. But do it genuinely. And I'm, I'm even okay if you say like this. You know what? Say as follows. God, I'm skeptical that you could hear me. That's an okay preamble. I don't know, man. I'm skeptical. But if you do hear me, is what I have to say. That's also a fair way to, way to start it. If that's what you genuinely, genuinely feel. Be genuine. Be real about it. Speak in English and speak like you would speak to your friend. Right? That the, that the pinnacle of prayer is where prayer is natural. It's like a conversational. You're, 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 you're talking like you talk to, to your friend. We have uh, in the Midrash, and this will be the end, guys. I'm not, I'm not, I, could, I could go on for longer, but <laughs> we could be. Should we do? Should we push the eleventh? Should we set records? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so this will be the last thing. Yes. <laughs> we know that the Eskimos, right? And who has heard of the idea that Eskimos have seven words for snow? You guys have heard about that? The Eskimos that have seven different words to describe snow. Because for them, that's their life. So they have a very nuanced, different snow. Maybe slushy snow or like a powdery snow. I don't know what... All we know is that there's seven words for snow. The, the, the Midrash says that Asarale Shonot Tatfilah. There's ten words of prayer. Ten words that uses to describe prayer. In Judaism, we have very... The prayer is very deeply rooted in the Jewish psyche. And for us, we have nuance. There's, there's multiple layers of prayer. For example, when talks about uh, uh, Isaac, you know, we talked about the um, uh, uh, we talked about kindness. You know, uh, kindness is one of the three pillars that uphold the world: Torah, Avoda, and Yimot Chasadim. Torah, prayer, and kindness are the three pillars that uphold the world in the Second Mishnah in Pekavot. These correspond to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, as we know, is the paragon of kindness. Yitzchak, Isaac, excelled in prayer. He's represented in the Torah. And Jacob was one who was Yoshev Ohalim. He was the one who was the Torah element. Isaac says, Isaac went out to talk in the fields. If you read that literally, it's what it means. Isaac went out to talk in the fields. Like, wait a minute, was Isaac on the spectrum? <laughs> you know, uh, he's going to talk in the fields like to himself? No. Lasuach taught that's one of the higher levels of prayer. When you talk to God, mano a mano, so to speak. Right? Uh, as if you're speaking to your friend, your friend's listening. That's the kind of prayer we're, we're, we're going to shoot for. So I want to have this, um, you know, try it out. Let's have the experiment, you know. And maybe next time we get together, we'll you know we'll compare notes if we want to. So no one's gonna be forced to compare notes. Uh, but let's try this. See how it goes. <laughs> you know what do we have to lose? Do it in a way that you have nothing to lose. You're in your car anyhow. It's commercial the radio anyhow. Right? You're anyhow not doing anything. Talk to God and be genuine. So, let's try that out, guys. Okay. There's a lot in prayer. Let's try to see what we can do to maximize it. Yes.
It's not not expensive, and it's not time-consuming, and it could change your life. That's that, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. Thank you. I I concur. I thought it was good as well. And, and, And because you guys always make it more spicy, you know, more... (laughs) <laughs> contributes to the subject, you know. And I appreciate that. Sometimes uh, I gave a class on Sunday. So I was in New York for for Pesach. So Pesach ended on Saturday. So on Sunday afternoon, we flew to um, back to Houston because I was in New York. But I have a Sunday morning class in Temple Beth Torah in Umble. So they said to me, Rabbi Wolby, we have to have a class. So I'm in New York. We have to have a class. I'm, I'm exaggerating their desire for the class, but they said they showed interest in having a class. So I said, well, let's do it via Skype. It's a lot better to give class a lot, you know. It was good, but, you know, I gave a class via Skype. Was that Yeah. You guys are great. It's worth the drive. Okay, so we'll see you all next week, right? Next week. And Fantastic. The topic that you uh, have in mind? Uh, I don't know. Well, we, uh, I don't remember. Did, did we discuss it? I will try and make it worth your while. My Google Excel sheet. I think it was uh, <laughs> the, the one you said you're going to share with us. <laughs> <laughs> the one. The, remember, I'm still waiting for the 